0: Dear Lord, thank you so much for this time to remember you. Lord, to remember your grace and your goodness, but also to remember your sacrifice that from the cross, nails were driven into your hands and your feet and blood flowed. Because you said in your word, there must be the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. And so you have shed your own blood for us. We give you thanks. We give you worship and we give you praise. And we invite you now, Lord, to open the eyes of our hearts that we might receive from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we look at the scripture this morning, I've titled this message, The First Church of Jerusalem. Now, it really wasn't called that back then. uh, But it was the first church indeed. And it was in Jerusalem. And we see it starting in the book of Acts uh, after the day of Pentecost. As we see the ecclesia, the called ones, the gathering, uh, come together together. And and I want us to think for this moment, this morning, for a few moments about what are the components of the New Testament church as it's described to us that we can relate to today, that we can have understanding and recognition of that also translate into our church here today. And we're going to look at a couple of passages here in the book of Acts. Now, I want to remind you that as we talk about the church, the churches can really be understood in two different categories. First of all, there's the church universal, which when I say universal, I mean all those who have trusted Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, regardless of the denominational background or even the point of history of which it occurred. So it says God looks at all those who are believers in Christ and have trusted, them, trusted him in faith. But then there's also the local church that we see described, and uh, we see it more in detail as Paul sends letters uh, to certain local churches. We see in the book of Revelation the seven churches. So we see the local church, and then we also see the church universal, and also we see the uh, Scripture indicating to us that there's a visible church. In other words, what people would assume is the church, people who come and people who participate, but really there's the invisible church and why we would say there's the invisible church because not everyone who simply attends have trusted christ not everyone who simply shows up on a church roll are those whom christ calls his church but those in whom he has relationship with those in whom have trusted him with their with their salvation uh, when those who have called upon him to grant forgiveness and salvation to them. And that's something that we visibly can't see, but God Almighty sees. So when we look at the church, I think it's important to understand that aspect. Also, I was reading an article earlier this week on uh, reasons that churches die. Now, statistics that have come out in the last couple months are now telling us that there are actually four churches every day that are shutting the doors in the United States for the first time. Now, it was three. Now, it's gone to four. And so uh, a lot of times people say there's churches opening are opening everywhere, but there are more churches dying than we're opening, and that's in the United States. So I think that's imperative for us to understand. Also, uh, let me just share a few reasons, uh, some study they did on why churches are closing their doors, and they found these common components. Uh, They all possess five or six of these traits that I'm going to give you. Number one, uh, they wanted to stay small. I just want to stay where we are, where where we know everybody, and let's just keep this group right here. Uh, just just keep us small. And and again, you know, our goal is not to become a mega church, But when you start to say it's just about me, and I just want to keep it here, uh, then you're on the death spiral. That, that's just the truth of it. Is I'll, I'll never forget the quote from my old little church that I grew up in, uh, complaining about the big church in the county. The First Baptist Church that was 400, by the way, that was the big church. And I'll never forget this quote. Um, can you believe people go to church over there? You go to church over there, and there'd be people over there you wouldn't even know their name. Well, there's a good reason not to go to church right there if you don't know everyone's name. You know, I don't know what you do if you're a visitor. I guess you're just out for life. An inferiority complex is another one. In other words, we can't do things because we're small. We're, we, we Well, we would do that, but we're small. Or we're not able to because we don't have money. Or we, we can't do these kind of outreach programs. Or we can't do this or that. And it's almost the, why. this is the reason I can't, so we don't. Uh, Another one they found that was key was pastor turnover. You know, it's just a sad reality, but when there's a lot of pastor turnover, it it hurts the church. So don't fire me, okay? So let's just continue. I've got a good thing going here. It's not good at all. All right. They don't trust the leadership of church. That was another component they found. Churches uh, that were dying or, or died did not trust the leadership of their church. Uh another one was they found that they, they didn't have a plan. There was no plan. There was no vision that was cast and and I'll share you share with ours with you in just a moment. I know you've heard it a lot, but I'll give it to you again. Uh there were unhealthy attitudes, there was not unity among the body, uh, there was a lot of bickering and and uh there was a lack of harmony, probably the best way to put it. They lacked fellowship, times that they came together uh, as opposed to just showing up on Sunday morning, and individuals confessed that they were not praying. For their church on a regular basis. Uh, they found that pretty much every church that they studied had at least five of those components. So as we look at that, I think it we want to look at the characteristics of the first church and how we see the explosiveness and the power that was transforming literally to the culture of that day as the first church. Of Jerusalem started now what's interesting about the first church of Jerusalem it really doesn't even last that long it only probably lasts about 40 years uh, before the Roman Empire comes in as tax comes in and just basically uh, raises the city I mean it's just demolished and so the Christians had to ta- as well as everybody else had to take off and uh, they were dispersed uh, literally all over the world which became a great evangelism tool it wasn't anything that they would planned on doing but God and his infinite wisdom And Sovereignty used that horrific event uh, to literally send the gospel worldwide uh, to the known world of that day. And so this first church of Jerusalem doesn't last that long, and it's the only one that we have a reference to. Incidentally, in 2008, they actually found uh, another church Uh, that they found in the Jordan area that they're saying is the oldest church recorded, and they're dating it somewhere in the 70s, somewhere from 70 to 80 A.D., and it was found under another church that they thought was, at the time, the oldest church in history. Uh, And this was really what they found is really more of a cave with some seats and some writings on it, and they feel like that's where uh, some of the uh, Christians who were dispersed landed, probably even from the Jerusalem church, landed uh, in this area in Jordan. So it's interesting as we look and... We understand a little bit about the church history. We understand a little bit about what's going on here. Uh, There has been no church as we know it up to this point, up to Acts chapter 2. And then we see the explosion that occurs. Peter stands up to preach a great sermon, a great message. And um, we see in verse 36 of Acts chapter 2, Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Lord. In Christ he's talking to the people here today he's sharing the good news the hope and he says when the people heard this they were cut to heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles brothers what shall we do and Peter replied to them here's what you need to do first of all you see that he's preached the gospel the message to them they have believed it and now they're asking what should we do so they've heard the word of God they've heard the message of Christ And they they believed it. Now they're asking, what should I do? And he said, I want you to repent. So I want you to repent, and then I want you to be baptized. I want you to repent and receive the grace and forgiveness of God and be baptized. We see this is the order that it occurs in. So he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. In verse 41 he says this. Those who accepted the message. Those who received the gospel. Those who received it. Were baptized. And he says how many? About 3,000 were added to their number that very day. So we see the proclamation of the gospel we see the story of the gospel the message of forgiveness we see the belief we see the repentance we see them receiving it and then we see them being baptized baptism we certainly understand first of all uh, the the uh, absolute necessity of trusting christ of receiving christ as savior and lord Uh, We recognize that, first of all, those folks had to recognize, you know what? I have a need. I recognize that I am unable to save myself. And I believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, that He died upon the cross, and that He can provide salvation. I believe that. I believe that I'm a sinner, and I ask God's forgiveness. And I want to receive Him as my Savior. I want to receive the grace that has been offered to me. And then they were baptized. So, first of all, the importance of believing, repenting, and receiving Christ. Imperatives of the faith. That's what we're talking about with the church. Those who have done that. And then the next step of obedience that he asked them. And we see this throughout the scripture. We see it uh, in Matthew chapter 3 where Jesus was baptized. Uh, we see, as uh, a matter of fact, the word "baptize" or Is taken from the Greek word baptizio, which means to immerse or to submerge. We see Jesus doing this in Matthew chapter 3 at age 30. We see Jesus commanded that we baptize in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So uh, the disciples were commanded to do that. We are commanded to do that. And then we see... Peter here preaching baptism after salvation in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And so that's one of the reasons we, we show you these, these videos, we show you these baptisms, because it was an important component of the church. It's a com- important component for us today. Uh, baptism identifies us with Christ through the death, burial, and resurrection. We see that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism... And raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. It's an affirmation of our faith. It's a spiritual marker. Whenever we have baptism, which incidentally is right here, we lift this part up and uh, then we have baptism after our last service. I will always share with the congregation and with those being baptized that we believe baptism is much like my wedding ring, it's a picture of a covenant commitment to God Almighty. And just like I placed this ring upon my finger when my wife gave it to me at my wedding, it, the picture of that covenant commitment, this is the picture of baptism to the believer. And so that's why we practice it. It is an identifying mark. It is a spiritual marker, so to speak, of your covenant relationship with God Almighty, of your salvation experience. And thus, we preach, teach, and practice Believers' baptism. I say believers' baptism because uh, we believe it's whenever that individual comes to the place to where they trust Christ in knowledge, and they make their own decision to trust Christ. Uh, also, just so you are aware, we actually have an adult baptism class next week, and then for our children, what we do, we kind of have a process uh, where they sit down with our children's minister, and then it's explained to them. We invite the parents to be a part of that process. And then in a couple of weeks later, we also, in the end of March, we have a communion class that they can attend. And so it's kind of a process where they come and they understand the gospel. That's the first step. Then we talk to them about baptism, and then they can attend the communion class. And many of you ask, when do they take communion? It would be after that class is what we would encourage. And for adults, again, much the same way. So we encourage you to consider that. And if you've never been baptized, I encourage you to attend the class next week, uh, next Sunday at 1130, immediately after this service. Continuing on, we see these principles and these practices in the early church. Uh, we read earlier, as a congregational reading, some of the things that occurred. Uh, let me reread it again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. We know that teaching was occurring fellowship was occurring the breaking of bread as we indicated earlier uh, which is a picture of communion and to prayer everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and the miraculous signs were done by the apostles and the believers were together and had everything in common selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts Praising God, we see the praise as an element of the early church, and enjoying the favor of people, and the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Uh, If you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 31. So we have seen uh, the aspects and the important practices of baptism, of communion, of preaching and teaching, of praise, of the people coming together, And in prayer, and then we continue here in this so-called first church of Jerusalem. In verse 31, And they prayed, and the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. So we see them speaking the word of God boldly. The truth of God's love. The truth of the gospel. They unashamedly speak that truth. And all the believers... "...were one in heart and mind." So we see that they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, that they're speaking the Word, and they're of unity, of one Spirit, of one fellowship. One heart and mind. And no one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. So they looked at all that God had given them as a blessing and as a gift, as stewards. And as there was need, they were willing to give to whatever need would arise." And with great power, the apostles continued to testify. So we see the power of those who've come in the spirit of one mind. We see the power of those who prayed, of those who speak the word boldly, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are of unity, who are giving. And we see now the word, the power of the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The testimony. The testimony that the apostles have, the testimony that those who have received Christ, as they boldly speak forth the message, the purpose for which we exist, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel truth. And much grace was upon them, and there were no needy persons among them in their church. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the cells and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed it was distributed to anyone who has need. I wish I had time to, to tell you of the early church Christian history and our Christian church history. And, uh, you know, there's so many stories of things that came out of the explosion of Christianity. And how, we've talked about this before, how uh, charity hospitals kind of came on the scene for the first time that we have recorded in history. How uh, orphanages were really established in, in order. And we see just really the miraculous advancement of human rights in a kind of what we would call sanctity life today happens through the explosion of the gospel. It's really pretty amazing as we stop and think about it. But what's also amazing is that God is still moving and working today. He still works through His people today. And as we witness the baptism of men, women, and children coming to Christ, that the Spirit of God still moves and still works today. You know, you've heard the story a hundred times, so I won't tell you again how God gave us this land that we have it was the power and the grace of God. And it wasn't just that we got this land. It was then all of a sudden we had to build on it because our time was up at the school. And now we're looking at this huge amount of money and there's 175 people. That was counting, you know, that was counting all the adults and ones that didn't even show up sometimes. And all of a sudden we have this massive project ahead of us if we're going to move out of the school, which we had to anyway because our time was up. And God miraculously worked through our people. As people accepted Christ and as people heard from God and as they prayed and as they sought Him, they began to make sacrifices. Everything from shotguns to even vacation home. People said, here, I give it. And that's how it happened. Because on paper, I'll never forget, we sat down with a church growth expert. He goes, you don't have enough people. Can't do this. I don't know what you can do, but can't do this. Can't afford it not going to work. I did the math. It's not going to work. And I remember our, our associate pastor at the time. You hear that? He said it doesn't work. I go, we're not going to listen to him. We're not going to tell anybody what he says. Okay? Uh, we're going to pray, and either God's going to do it or he doesn't. It's not like we got an alternative. You know, it's not like we can stay here. They've already said, your three years are up in the school. You've got to go here. In two years, you're going to have to leave. So we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God, and we're going to put it before the people. And we're not going to tell them it's desperate. We're just going to put it before God and say, this is where we are. And this is what we're going to have to do. And so we're not going to raise professional fundraisers. We're not going to do any of that stuff. We're just going to ask God to move and to work. And he did. And the reason that you're sitting here and the reason you saw those people baptized, it was because people faithfully and sacrificially gave. And they placed it at the apostle's feet, so to speak. They placed it in the church. And that's why we're here, quite frankly, today. It's God's sovereignty. That's why people accept Christ, not because of might or strength or because of wisdom or knowledge because the spirit of god moves through his people and the primary way he does is he shares of the hope through our mouths and through our lives so as we look back at those components those weren't meant just to be for the first century church again is this a description absolutely it's a description but i believe they're valid components let me ask you these questions today are you praying for our church are you praying daily that God would use our church and our body to make an impact in His kingdom? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you when there are opportunities to share of the hope that is within you? Are you speaking forth the word boldly? Are you operating in a spirit of unity and when someone has something negative or divisive to say, do you say, you know what? This is the bride of Christ that we're talking about. Literally, we're talking about Jesus' wife and we start that. So we want to be cognitive and conscious of what we say. Are we giving as needed, as we have been blessed, as God has commanded us to give and to tithe and to give of our offerings? The Bible says here that the power flowed through that church. They were giving testimony and they were giving proclamation Of the message of hope, of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, who was placed upon a cross, and because of His blood, forgiveness is granted for all who will receive. Transfer our trust from what we could do, from our own goodness, from our own efforts, from our own religion, to what Jesus has done, and to receive that grace and forgiveness, and to live in the power and the knowledge of His Word. What about you? I want to briefly show you our plan and our vision, and we're going to conclude with this. And Cindy, if you would put that up here. I mentioned to you earlier the importance of having a plan. Uh, That's the illustration. Uh, And then you see our vision. We want to receive people. We want to impact their lives. We want to equip them with God's Word, and we want to send them to serve either in our church locally, in our community. In our world, and we're got we have a hands across community coming up here in a few weeks. We're on Sunday morning, we're just going to invite you all to go out into the community, and you see that right there in your bulletin. I want to ask you to prayerfully consider being a part of that, helping Uh, it'll be a great thing to do. Last year, we had over 600 people going into the community serving and making impact. Next, uh, the next slide here Operation 2000 Impact that we're in right now. We want to sponsor a thousand people, those are primarily children. You see, we have nearly 140 children that we're sponsoring over here right now. If there's a child that you're sponsoring from any program, it doesn't matter, World Vision, Compassion International, Feed the Hungry, whatever, uh, we'd like to know about it. Uh, we want our church body, the people in our church, to be sponsoring a 1,000 children, to be praying that God would use that food and use that education and they would come to know Christ and that they would be able to be a, an instrument of His glory. Uh, so we encourage you to do that. There are two different organizations that we're primarily working with, and you don't have to do either one of them. But one is Feed the Hungry. It's just nine dollars a month. If you do that one, we don't—they won't send you a picture. It'll be going. Matter of fact, a big part of that will be going to Haiti. Ironically, we were already connecting with them uh, to work with an orphanage and basically what we would call a, a big soup kitchen. There are three or four there, and uh, that they feed people daily. And nine dollars a month will feed a child. We'll actually feed an individual there. Or you can do the $35 a month where you will get the picture of the child. You will get letters. uh, You can know the name and have contact with them if you would like to. So encourage you to consider doing that. Uh, Then 10,000 impact hours, we talked about going into the community. We have several mission organizations and mission points that we're using right now. And then we're going to take a few days during the year, one day for our whole church, another day for our children, Another day for our youth where we're just going to send them out on Sunday morning into the community uh, to meet needs in our community. And then ten people called into missions and church planting. And uh, we're just praying, as God has already begun to do, to call people to go out into the world and make disciples. And then lastly, uh, and I show this to you, uh, what what we do every year. Our annual classes of mentoring and training for marriage and parenting and finances, we offer that every year, and we encourage you to be a part of that. We just did our marriage class, our marriage emphasis. We have parenting that we'll be doing in the fall, and then finances is done uh, right now through our Crown Financial, and we'll be doing that again in the fall. And then our ongoing Bible studies, specialty classes that are offered. matter of fact, there's an apologetics class that's offered right after this service over in the 1130 hour. And then last but not least, uh, why are we doing this or how are we doing this? Um, Cindy, if you'd give us that next slide. The long-term goal for Rock Point is to become a church that runs about 1,500 adults in worship so that we might successfully and continually... Uh, plan additional churches out of our congregation. So that's about double what we're doing right now, and our long-range planning committee is looking into what it would take for us to be able to do that. And that number comes from some studies on church health, in which uh, it will be a healthy number in which we can financially and numerically send people out, uh, hopefully even by the hundreds, uh, to start congregations here locally, uh, in the next county, and wherever God leads And, uh, kind of our vision, we're, again, remember, we, I am in no way anti mega church. I I was in two large churches. I think they're great. But this is what God has called us to be. And this is what we're going to do. And so we want to start as many churches as possible and send as many people out as possible. And so this is where we're trying to get to do. And, and we've already been a part of seven church plants. Okay? So we've already, we've already done that. But we want to do that on a larger scale. And so this is what God's calling us to do, and that's why we even care to get there. So it's not some, we don't get some plaque or something for getting there. Uh, and matter of fact, I don't even think we work with anybody that gives plaques. Uh, so, uh, but it's the reason we've come up with that official number there is because we feel like we can do that in a very healthy manner. It's kind of what God put on our heart from the time that we moved in. So it's not something new. It's been the vision from the beginning. Uh, so that's what we're doing. That's where we're headed. That's why we do what we do. Uh, God has called us as our mission is to uh, to make more and better followers of Christ and to love Him with all our heart, soul, and mind. That's who we are. That's why we exist. That's our purpose. Will you be a part of it? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for the first church of Jerusalem, a church, Father, of which your spirit landed mightily. Lord, it's the church from which, Lord, we can see descriptions and understandings of what you desire to do today. And God, I pray that we would be one, Lord, who sends people out, not just because we're being persecuted, but because we see that as our desire and our calling. Lord, we thank you for the tremendous opportunity that you've given us to reach this area and to reach beyond this area. And I pray, God, that we we, we would each look at our own hearts and ask you, God, how do you want me to be a part? Lord, here I am. I'm willing. I'll do what You ask. I'll go where you send me. I'll serve where there's a need. Lord, if there's one that doesn't know You today, I pray that You would draw them by the power of Your Spirit, that they would trust You as their Savior. They would transfer their trust from anything that they can do today to what You have done for them upon the cross and receive that grace and forgiveness. Lord, we thank You and we praise You. In Your name I pray. Amen.